Over the last several weeks, we've been learning about the life of prophet Elisha. And um, I'm convinced that God is trying to say something to our church through his experience. So I'm going to invite you to just jump right in with me. Uh, whether or not you've been here, we're going to dive right in. We are in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you or we have a, we have a, a, a Bible section in our app. If you haven't gotten our app, I encourage you to do that. You can just uh, connect to the Bible right there. We are in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. And here we're going to read about a familiar story. Probably you've heard about this one. Uh, of the many things that Elisha did, this is one of the most well-known. And if you have been following along with us, uh, you have probably discovered that even though Elijah is well-known for doing huge and amazing confrontational things, Elisha's job was more about bringing things back, restoring things, and healing. Yes, healing. So that's where we are, 2 Kings chapter 5. Are you there? Say amen. amen. All right. Let's get on with it. Let's read the word of God, 2 Kings chapter 5. Bible tells us verse 1. Now Naaman, you recognize that name. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. And he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. It's interesting that the story begins here and gives us a glimpse of our main character, or at least one of the main protagonists in our story. Because he is not an Israelite. In fact, <clears throat> he was the enemy of the Israelites. See, Aram is, is Syria. Uh, what you would consider modern-day Syria, and they were neighbors to the Israelites. And what the Bible tells us, if you read it, the rest, is that they were constantly at war. And nothing's changed, right? Nothing has changed. Uh, this week, those border skirmishes between Turkey and, and the Kurds and the Syrians, uh, nothing has changed. Well, that's how it was in biblical times. And no matter what the Israelites did, every time they took their eyes off of God, the neighboring countries would come in, and, and, and steal the things, plunder their riches, constantly raiding, taking things along the border. So what we have here is a commander of the enemies of the Israelites, Naaman. And the Bible tells us right away that he was highly uh, regarded by his master. And he was a commander. He was elevated in charge. He was a man of purpose, a man of confidence, someone who had others under him. And it describes him as a, as a valiant soldier. It even says that he had the favor of God. Now, when I read that, I struggled with that a little bit, right? Because why would God give favor to those that are enemies of his people? The thing is, God's not political. God doesn't choose sides. He's not into politics. He won't vote Democrat or Republican or third party. I don't know what the third party is this day. It's Green Party. He doesn't care about that. All he cares is about people who are willing to listen to his call. And the Bible tells, him that, tells us that at times, God utilizes people from all walks of life, from all people groups, to accomplish his overarching will. And in this case, God had given victory to Aram through this man. And he was a valiant soldier. So what we can glean from these couple of verses is that this man had led an exemplary life, and he had risen up through the ranks. But then there's this last little phrase, but, 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 he had leprosy. Now, <clears throat> the Bible uses that word to describe all kinds of skin diseases. 
I'm married to a doctor, and it's my blessing, but sometimes that blessing comes with a catch. She loves skin diseases. And she'll say, oh, check this out. And I'm like, oh, my eyes, my eyes. <clears throat> I don't know if you're married or know a medical professional. And they're just so into it. Oh, look at this. Oh, I can't. It makes me, uh, you know, I get queasy. <laughs> Eric's laughing at me because if you're in the medical profession, that's what you live for, seeing weird stuff. But if you are not a medical professional, you don't want to see that. <clears throat> Turns out the leprosy in the Bible was used for many different skin diseases, not necessarily just what you and I would consider leprosy. So we're not quite sure, but it stands the reason that in this particular case, it may just have been leprosy, you know, the thing that, uh, that, that, that damages your skin and your nervous system, and eventually you stop having sensation and feeling. And because you can't sense your appendages, you, you hit things, and you rub them off, and eventually you lose fingertips and ear loaves and nose. It makes you into a ghoul, into a monster. It's not just a rash or a few boils. <clears throat> what we know about biblical times in the Old Testament is that when people had this kind of disease, they were not just quarantined, they were like cast out. Because we read, if you read in, in, in these books here, uh, when, when someone had leprosy, they were pushed out of the city and they had to find community with other people who were suffering from the same disease. They were usually forced to leave their wives, their families, their kids, and pushed out. So it stands to reason that for this particular man, leprosy came late in life. There's no way someone with leprosy would have been able to rise through the ranks of military command. No way he would have been able to lead people into battle missing fingers or a nose. We also know that for many, it was thought that when this disease came upon you, it was a direct curse. That gods had somehow looked at you and found you unworthy and therefore cursed you with this disease. And so what we have here in these few verses is a description of a man who probably had a great life until this came along who probably was living his dream, the thing that he dreamed he would be, become a man of valor, a, a valiant soldier, and risen up through the ranks, highly regarded. But then, but then, late in life, probably unexpectedly, something that some of us can understand, bad things came his way. And the Bible uses that little phrase, but he had leprosy. Because if all this goodness, all this history, all this greatness was suddenly not worth much anymore. Bible continues, verse 2, and it says that bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. See, I told you. From time to time in these border skirmishes, one would cross the border, not unlike what we heard this week, and retake back territory and sometimes pick up people. And the Bible tells us that one of these bands had gone out, passed through Israel, and stolen some people. And in this case, took a young girl. We don't know her name. We don't know her age. But quite possibly a teenager. Somebody young or even a preteen. And taken her from her home and brought her back to Syria and, and forced her into slavery. And the Bible tells us that, that the place that she ended up was in the household of Naaman, serving his wife. And the Bible tells us that this young lady said to her, a slave owner, to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
It's a fantastic phrase and one that's kind of unexpected because just think about it. If you were stolen from San Diego, forced to live on the other side of the border, in slavery to someone, would you wish them healing? Would you wish your captors, your slave owners, those who took you from your house at a young age and forced you to serve in another country to another people, would you wish them well? Or might you be tempted to say, see? Payback, right? See? You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. Is that how it goes? And for a young person, it seems that that it's highly mature for her to not think of herself, even though, even though she's the one who needs saving. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being on the other side and being the family that lost the daughter and coming to find out that she wishes healing for her captors? It's, it's an odd phrase. And yet the single act of courage creates a story that has been recorded for centuries and that today gives us pause and reason to hope. She says, if only he would see the prophet in Samaria. And alas, we find him. See, by this time, Elisha is very famous or infamous. Word has spread. Elijah's long gone. Uh, Even the memory of him is gone. It's Elisha's turn to lead the people, and it's his example and his words and how he's approaching his relationship with God and God's people that makes all the difference. And by this time, uh, stories about what he has done, you guys know, because after all, last week we read that he brought somebody back to life. So if that doesn't make you famous, I'm not sure what will. And the Bible tells us that she says, if only, if only you would see the prophet in Samaria, if only you could go and visit Elisha, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, now in that phrase, <clears throat> we find both this, this amazing sort of faith in what's possible, but also a misunderstanding about what really is taking place, because Elisha has no power. Elisha is merely a conduit for the power of God. But she says, just go see him. And the Bible tells us, verse 4, are you following with me? Verse 4, the Bible says that Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And the king said, by all means, go. I will even send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman left, and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, if you look in your fine print of your Bible, you'll you'll find there that this is uh, a lot of treasure. Ten talents of silver is actually 750 pounds of silver. That's a lot of silver, 750 pounds of silver. Of course, what that equates to varies over time. Right now it's probably worth half a million dollars. But it wasn't just the silver. It was 6,000 shekels or 150 pounds of gold. 150 pounds of gold, somewhere around $4.5 million. So he's carrying about $5 million worth of, 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 of silver and gold, but he brings 10 sets of clothing. Now, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, it, it's possible that the, 
the, the, the Syrians really liked to look good, and it was a symbol of wealth, and, and I don't know why you would bring 10 sets. But he brought this as a way of hopefully securing, exchanging for a service. The Bible tells us the king says, by all means go, and I'm going to send you a political letter so, so that they'll accept you. And, and, and Naaman brings with him as much treasure as he can take to present. And the Bible says, listen here, verse 6, that he took this letter, and the letter said, with this letter I'm sending my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. The king says, here he is, fix him. Now, I can understand why the king wrote that letter because, you know, to him, this was a valuable asset, a commander, but one that he could no longer really utilize because he had leprosy. And the skin disease, is it contagious? Very highly, sort of. Who knows? Not even? Not anymore. Well, it probably, it probably seemed contagious to them, so I'm, that's why they quarantined and the Bible tells us that, that he sends this letter, and the letter says, I'm sending him, fix him. And verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes, which is a symbol of distress, a symbol of, of, of confusion, of sadness, of heartbreak. He tore his robes, and he said, these, look, look, his words, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? He receives this guest in the request. And he's so upset by it because he thinks this is asking too much. Asking for too much. Can I heal? Can I bring someone back to life? How can he expect me to cure somebody of leprosy? And then he reasons, no, I know what this is. He's trying to pick a political fight with me because he knows I can't do that. This will just give him excuse to come and fight with us. Battle again. Apparently, this was a, a time of a ceasefire. There was a bit of a peace in the region until this comes. And the king says, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. He's asking too much. But when Elisha, verse 8, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message, why? Why? Why have you torn your robes? Why are you so upset by this request? Why do you not think it's possible? Send him to me so that he will know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and his gold and his silver and his ten sets of clothing, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman was upset by this. Now, <clears throat> let's be fair. If a person with leprosy showed up at your house, chances are you wouldn't have the wherewithal to know how to respond to that. But more than likely, if you were lived in those days, you would have kept your distance. You would have sent your servant. So it would be normal, except that Naaman did not consider himself a normal leper. He was, after all, a valiant soldier, a man with a history, with accolades, and with this letter from the king. He expected more. And yet Elisha just sent a message. Go and take a bath seven times in the Jordan River. You guys know the story. 
But Naaman was upset. And look at what he says, verse 11. I thought that he would at least come out. How disrespectful. I thought he would at least come out and, and greet me. And, and maybe that he would call on the name of the Lord his God and <laughs> wave his hand over the spots and cure me of my leprosy. What an interesting thought, right? I thought that he would come out and do the little magic, abracadabra, and then poof, I would be healed. But then I thought, that's not an unreasonable thought if you don't know God. If you think that somehow God is like magic, a genie that you can rub out of a bottle and say, fix this, God. Uh, for a second, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm confused, but then I think most of us at some point have thought of God this way. We bring him a problem and we sort of expect him to wave his magic hand over it and make the problem go away. Maybe we don't show up at the pastor's door or the prophet's door, but we utter prayers that sound like this request. God, can you come and fix this situation? Can you go and fix my marriage? God, can you deliver this, this problem? Can you go uh, help me with this financial Can you just wave your hand over it? Can you just fix it? But the prophet asks him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. And then he reasons, he's upset, verse 12, he says, Aren't the rivers where I'm from in Damascus better than all these waters of Israel? If you look on your map, the Jordan River is not much of a river. It's not that impressive. It's more like a little creek that just kind of runs. Sometimes it flows, sometimes it doesn't. Right now, if you look on Google Earth, there's nothing there but sand. Except a tiny little trickle. And it kind of snakes through. It was a boundary river, so important in that sense. But it wasn't impressive. It wasn't mighty. Didn't, it, was, it wasn't flowing thick and, and, and powerful. In Damascus, there were rivers that were more like fragrant. There were trees everywhere. But, but the Jordan is in the middle of the desert. And it's probably dirty, brown. And so he says, why can't I just go take a bath there? Why make me dirty myself in this river? So he went off in a rage. But his servants, this is important, his servants said, wait, wait, wait. If he had asked you to do something significant, wouldn't you have done that? If the prophet had said, do this amazing thing, wouldn't you have tried that? Why don't you at least go and get washed and be cleansed? And you know how it goes. He went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God and stood before him, and he uttered these words. He said, now I know there is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. When the request was first made, the people of God thought it was too much to ask. Too much to ask. And I'm wrestling with that because I think that some of us believe the same thing. That the things that we're dealing with, the things that we're struggling with, of course we want God to wave a magic wand, but, but deep down inside we think it's too much to ask. God can't possibly heal my disease. 
God can't possibly address my situation. So we settle. And we become accustomed to living the life that, we, that we've been dealt, the hand that we've been dealt. And, and, we, and, we, and we become like this king, living as people of God, doing the things, but not trusting that there is only one God in all the world, the living God, and that he can, and that there is nothing that is too much to ask for him. Because God himself says, am I not God? Am I not God? Didn't I make you all? What is too big for me to handle? But have you settled into that thought? Too much to ask. Have you convinced yourself that there's no point in praying that prayer? That it's just too much to ask? Have you come to believe that maybe there was a time that God would have rescued you, but that that time has gone and it's past? That maybe, maybe your opportunity went by and now we just have to live with the leprosy, the consequences, the sins, the decisions that you made and you just have to settle for it. Well, I want to tell you that God's intention was always to restore and to cleanse. You know what Jesus says about this in the New Testament? He says there were many, many, this is Jesus' words in the New Testament. He says there were many, many people with leprosy in Israel, but no one got healed. Only the foreigner did. You know why? Because he dared to ask. And there is healing for you. There is, there is restoration for us. There is cleansing for us. If only we would believe enough to dip seven times. If only we would believe enough to ask. If only we could stop selling ourselves short of God's glory. Because he wants to restore. He wants to cleanse. He wants to bring things back to wholeness. But you've got to ask. And it's not too much to ask. For your heavenly father knows. And he is capable. And he will restore. And he will heal. But you've got to ask. It's that desperation and the asking that makes us available to respond to his will. So my prayer for you is that you would not give up asking. That you let that hope inside of you bring you to the point of request. And that you might receive healing and restoration. Shall we stand and sing a song of praise?